You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Hey everyone, welcome into the Mackie and Judd show where 99.5% of the time we hashtag stick to sports and we will have plenty of sports on the show today with Doogie Scoops and Declan is going to unveil a new segment called Old Tweets Exposed that's really going to incriminate all three of us from an old tweets standpoint. But uh, we got to talk about Minneapolis and all the things going on here off the top of the show in just a second. It is the center of uh, the American news landscape right now but let's thank federated insurance for a brief moment federated has been helping business owners for over a hundred years based in Owatonna, minnesota and as businesses start to have restrictions lifted off of them over these past couple of weeks in the state of minnesota and restaurants and more businesses with restrictions being lifted the first week in june you want to make sure that you are up to speed from a communication standpoint from a policyholder standpoint make sure you've got all your ducks in a row as a business you can lean on the trusted resources and people at Federated. Federatedinsurance.com has a treasure trove of trusted resources you may need, whether it's written pandemic policies, whether it's HR and communications to employees. You can also just get a hold of a local marketing representative, somebody to uh, help guide you through these difficult times here in the state of Minnesota. Federated Mutual Insurance Company, where it's our business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. Well, good morning to you. We start with breaking news right now. Multiple fires are burning. This is a live look from our traffic management cameras in Minneapolis. There has been looting across the city overnight as protests turn violent, overwhelming first responders. Take a look at this massive fire that was caught on traffic management cameras overnight. This is at a commercial area near Hiawatha and Lake Street in South Minneapolis. It's where much of the damage is concentrated. This is also the same area where the third Minneapolis police precinct is located, about two and a half miles from where George Floyd was taken into custody. Well, uh, 72 hours into the week after Memorial Day here, and it looks like our city is the center of attention in America right now, gentlemen. Uh, We stick to sports on this show. We know our lane. We love yucking it up and having fun, even with no sports the last two and a half months. I think we've had a lot of fun on this show. We're going to have fun on this show. We're going to talk about uh, inside information regarding our local sports teams and return to play with Doogie. Old tweets exposed on the show, but I think we should just carve out some time here off the top to flush out some thoughts on everything that's happening from the murder of George Floyd and all of the, the, the rioting and looting that's taking place in Minneapolis right now. So. I'm going to go back two weeks in in quarantine boredom. I, I was going through, I don't know, Phil, it was Hulu or Netflix or something, okay? And I found a extensive, like, two-and-a-half-hour documentary on the Los Angeles riots post the Rodney King verdict, which I think came down in, like, 92 or yeah. 93. I think it was 92, but I might be wrong. But anyway, 
Uh, the play-by-play, you know, of course, included a lot of the rioting, looting, protests, which is where it started. And I'm watching this thing, and I'm really captivated, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God. You know, I mean, I, I remember it because I was about 22 at the time, but to go back and see it again in documentary form firsthand. And that's two weeks back, and I'm thinking, this is incredible. And, you know, thank God we don't have something like this now. And to see last night, I mean, I think the only thing to be, not to be crass about this, I think the only thing that we didn't see last night, and I might be totally wrong here, but at least from the news coverage I saw, um, in, in the King post-verdict case, they they pulled a white driver out, out of his truck and yeah. beat him to a pulp. I don't know yeah. if he died or not, but anyway. I believe he lived, but, but wound up being, you know. But basically, basically... People who were upset were pulling white people out of their car or cars. There, there might have been more than one. Mm-hmm. Uh, from what I saw last night, it lo- it looked like, for the most part, black people and white people and people who were mad were sort of in this together. Like, I didn't see a lot of intentional picking on people or fighting or things like that. But anyway, long story short, um, to see your city be that city last night. And and to know that we got to that point, Phil Mackey, because of the decision of one or actually not one, four cops who made every cop look awful. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's no excusing this. There's no when a cop shoots a person. I'm not ever saying it's excusable, but a lot of times you at least can think to yourself, OK, this came in the heat of uh, that guy had yeah. a gun. I, you, didn't, you know, I didn't know what he was reaching for. Exactly. Dark, exactly. Whatever. Yeah. And, and it, it can be terrible and not justified. But at least you think to yourself in those cases, sometimes not all the time. I'm not excusing this. Sometimes split second decision. And what you just said, which, which is, oh, my God, am I going to die? No, I'm going to do this. Um, but to trigger what triggered on Monday night. And I don't care if it's in Minneapolis, uh, Chicago, Florida, you know, uh, Miami. It's terrible. But for that to be in your damn backyard, like, where where do I even start? In our backyard, and this isn't just like an isolated thing. I mean, each instance is different, but the Philando Castile killing. I mean, that that shined a spotlight on Minneapolis. Can we go back to that? St. Paul. For a second? Mm -hmm. Because that was upsetting. And in my personal opinion, not justified at all. Mm-hmm. Castillo said, "I've got a gun," and the guy and the cops like, oh, and, "And I, you know, he shot him, and I don't don't know why." The cop was but, super nervous. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But again, but again, I feared the worst there, and I think part of the reason it didn't turn into the worst is because what you just said, which is the cop completely panicked there. That did not look on fo- the footage of that did not look like a purposeful execution. What we saw on Monday was. Yes. It was an execution. Yes. And, and he think, didn't use a gun, but it was an execution. And, and, and it's funny how, funny is probably not the right word, it's interesting how in two days' time, three days' time after this takes place, and this is the pattern I think I notice on a regular basis when something happens relating to social injustice or racial injustice, there's always the initial thing that happens. In this case, it was the murder of George Floyd. And I'm going to keep using the word murder because... Yeah, no, I'm with you. I don't know if there's another word. Like, unless unless something comes out that says, you know, he, no, he was 
he had some pre-existing condition that, like, I, I mean, he was murdered based on the videos that I have he seen. He kneeled on so, the man's neck for an extensive period of time. It, it's yes, and I get that this, this will play out in the courts. And but I'm, you know, if I if I continue to use the word murder, it's just that's what I saw from six different angles. It was a murder yep. in my mind. Um, so the initial thing happens, and then there is, especially with racially driven tension. There is a fallout of some kind, whether it's rioting or looting in this case, and I, and I am not condoning rioting and looting uh, necessarily either. But what happens is we get more worked up about the protest or the reaction than the original injustice itself. And that's what's happening in the last, I guess, 24 yeah. hours or so now that like uh, businesses are on fire and cars are on fire in Minneapolis. And so... You have, on one hand, you have a white police officer killing an unarmed black man over the course of a slow 10-minute chokeout in broad daylight. And all of those things appear to be fact based on five or six different video angles. Mm -hmm. And instead, we've spent the last two days fixated as if the, these are equal things on AutoZone and Wendy's being on fire and other businesses, too. I'm not trying to make light of it, although I will say... What do you got against Wendy's? Okay, like Frost. Everyone, got loves, it, it everyone got loves in the way. That, that's what everyone they got loves against, a Frosty. It, it got in the way. Um, so what happened to George Floyd? In all of the history and all of the symbolism behind it, and the deep-seated issues that need addressing, clearly still in this country in 2020. Yep. The, that is the conversation that we should like. Whenever I see these things happening, and maybe this is me being, you know, reflective guy on right. the show. Whenever these things happen, instead of knee-jerk reacting, those thugs are stealing stuff from Target, you know, this and this. I, right. I'm not condoning that, but I want to know, okay, what's the root of this? This isn't, just a ra this isn't just a random occurrence why part of Minneapolis has just burned to the ground in the last two days. What is the why behind this? Let's have the actual let's, – let's not do the thing we did with the Colin Kaepernick protest where we got so hung up on, well, he's disrespecting the flag and disrespecting America, and, like, and I will even say – as someone who has thought deeply about the Colin Kaepernick situation for four or five years, like his entry point for the protest and then some of the subsequent things he did mm -hmm. did not resonate effectively to, to push a conversation into the mainstream. Right. So like he, he probably could have done things a different way, but we, but like it is our choice to get distracted by these other things when we could be having a meaningful conversation but, about why they happened in the first place and that's what pisses me off but let's talk I'm worked up right now well yeah but let's talk about what triggered the entire thing it was the actions of of one officer and really in my mind four because any one of those guys could have could have gone to his his fellow cop kneeling on a man's neck and peeled him off yeah, okay yeah. but let's start with that because this is a country Unfortunately, where what we saw last night, it's horrifying, it's awful, and guess what? It's not new. So let's start with what, what began this entire thing, which is the breakdown, and in the case of, of uh, the black community, this is not a first, it's not a second, and sadly, it's not a probably one millionth. It's probably happened so many times, not caught on tape, we can't count. But what happened last night, as horrific as it was to see, was equally as predictable by what that cop did. And the leadership and the people that are supposed to protect everybody, not just white people, the people that are supposed to protect blacks, and I don't care what your color is, and I don't care what um, sex you are, and I don't care what your sexual orientation is, the police force is supposed to protect everybody. Mm -hmm. 
And what that cop did, and, and I just want to keep saying this, to be fair, I'm positive there are a lot of great cops. All yeah. right, so yeah. so so I'm going to read you something before this segment's over by a great cop. Okay, by the way. so what that so what that thug did um, to choke the life out of a man is inexcusable, and and he should have never been called a cop. He that was not a moment of wow I I, I did something wrong. I'm with you. It was a murder. Um, but where we got to last night was as predictable, and and we can we can blame the looters, we can blame the opportunists who probably didn't give a damn three days ago and said, hey, I can go to Target and get things. But guess what? All of it was triggered. All of it by the actions of a police force, and in, in particular, four people and one guy who made a decision over, and I'd like to, this is the thing that needs to be made clear. As far as I know, the reports are over a forged check. Yeah. A fo- th- this was not a guy with a gun. This was not a guy who had just robbed some innocent poor guy who owned uh, the food store and was running from the cops and was a threat. This was a situation with a forged check. Um, but everything that led up to that and to where we got was caused by the actions, and don't tell me it wasn't, by the actions of people with malicious intent, without a care for life. And I will, and I think it's very safe to say four people, and one in particular, who never gave a damn about protecting anybody, but maybe a select few who they deemed worthy of their protection. This is also the culmination of multiple incidents, not only around the country, but in the state of Minnesota. And I want to direct you guys back four years ago. I, I, I don't know if, especially if white people like us, I don't know if people fully understand or comprehend the full extent of the tension between black people in the Twin Cities and the Minneapolis Police Department. Do you guys remember when the Minnesota Lynx, it was after Philando Castile, and there was there was a run of like three or four of these incidents, and, and, and Philando Castile was in this mix. And and I found this uh, this summary from the Star Tribune and ESPN.com. The Lynx played a game, and members of the Lynx came out in warm-up T-shirts with a message seeking change following the deaths of Philando Castile and Elton Sterling. I can't remember if it was an I can't breathe. I think it was. Actually, actually the shirt, I got it right here. The shirt said change, start, so the change starts with us, justice and accountability. And on the back, it said Black Lives Matter. It's their way of making a statement saying, this is wrong. We need to shine a light on this. This is an important cause. And a Dallas police logo, too, also yes, on that shirt. Because that was uh, Elton Sterling was fatally shot by a police officer, I believe, in Dallas. And so they had all those things on the shirt. The Minneapolis police officers who were working the game, there's a handful of Minneapolis police officers working security at Target Center. They walked out. They walked out. And... Bob Kroll, the uh, I believe he's the police union lieutenant is his title. And he was quoted afterwards, quoted publicly afterwards, saying, I commend them for doing so. And I'm not sitting here like I don't want to start a war among listeners. and wanna, I, I just want to point out when you have the lieutenant, Lieutenant Bob Kroll publicly saying, I commend those police officers for walking out because of T-shirts worn in support of uh you know, Philando Castile yeah, and Alan Sterling, like yep. that pours gas on a fire that is already brewing. And so this like this, what what's happened in these last and I and from my standpoint, 
I don't want to be misconstrued as saying, hell yeah, go into Target and go steal TVs and like go burn right. build businesses. Now. Like there are independent you know, Target's going to be fine. Wendy's is going to be fine. But the little AutoZone's going to be fine. Like yeah, yeah. there are mo- there's a shoe store that I, some of our friends I see on Twitter like I it, like Courtney Cronin tweeted about this shoe store that she buys shoes from that was glass broken, everything stolen. Like some of these mom pop shops, I am not condoning that. Mm-hmm. I am simply interested in the root of this and the why. And imagine if, like, if we, if we as white people put our, like, let's, all right, let's just put ourselves in the shoes of someone else here for a second. And if you felt as if for decades or even centuries, you aren't being heard, things aren't changing, you continue to see systematic injustices and racial injustices and root problems that need fixing. And those things, based on your worldview, are not being fixed. This is what happens. Like this is this is the result. This is tension overflowing, and this is. And again, I'm not sitting here saying, and you damn right, burn down, go burn down the next city too. I'm not saying that. I am just shining a light on why this is happening, and, and it, we should have a discussion about it. It's 2020, and clearly, from from what we see on reports, from what we see now, more and more as people use their phones as cameras, clearly this is happening all the time. That's what's so frightening about this. The the ability of people to have no conscience, to have no care, to basically say, you don't look like I do, so I don't give a damn, which is what that is. Dude, this uh this this investor guy from that what's the the mosaic building in Uptown? Did you guys see that video too? So it's it's two minority like oh, yeah, two kids in their twenties who have been tenants of this building as business owners and they have a huge Instagram account and they've been tenants of this building for a year and a half. Oh yeah, I saw part this. Of the WeWork wing, and then you got like old white guy, you know, investor guy, and they're all in the gym he together. He wasn't even that old, man. And I believe he I, was. He looked a, like he was about your age. He was pretty old. Okay, for for a fifty year old <laughs> who grew up. No, but seriously, think about that. Like that dude. I, like, I that dude born, literally saw two minorities in his gym and was like, "You guys, you guys don't look like you belong here. It's all on camera." Re- it's like what? I remember hearing and studying in school, Phil, about things like the Jim Crow laws and those things, right? And and I, I was born in sixty nine, and I remember thinking to myself, "Hold on a second. I'm studying something that happened at that time in my life in school, like 15 years back. This is impossible. You know, separate waterfowl? There's no way. I remember thinking that. Mm -hmm. And here's the saddest thing. As we sit here having this discussion today, I now feel that we're closer to that than ever. And maybe we always have been. Well, right, exactly. And and iPhones and Androids have just shined a light on it. But think about that. Think about the fact that I'm sure in both your guys' lifetime – there was a point where it wasn't that you didn't believe racism existed. I've always believed it did. But where you thought, you know what, the the majority of people are fine. I, I no longer know that or think that. Actually, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I – so I don't think the majority of white people really – and I, I have been like, – I'm 35 now. I was guilty of this for at least the first 25 years of my life because uh, when I was 8 years old, my family moved out to the western, western suburbs – and I went to Buffalo High School, and Buffalo High School is a wonderful high school. I'm not ripping Buffalo High School, but Buffalo sure. High School is like 95%, at least when I went there, yeah. you know, early 2000s, it's like 95% white people. You're in the sticks, man. Like it's it was like it was like 95% white people and then you I believe you had like some adopted minorities that were that were part of the community as well. And so it really wasn't the diversity capital of Minnesota. And again, I love I had great education, like was a wonderful trumpet player. If I could toot my own horn, um, oh 
So I don't think the majority of white people spend any time putting themselves in the shoes of black people in America. It's, it's really easy if you come from if you come from a background that wasn't exposed to anything crime related. You didn't see any like you never saw a police officer interacting with or engaging with a black person. Like, how would you have any idea right. what goes on? You're sort of just blind to it. Right. Yep. And the history and the life circumstances and the disadvantages that you might have if you aren't white and from the suburbs, et cetera, et cetera. And so, as I said, I'm a white dude from rural Minnesota. I grew up in a middle class family. My college education was paid for by my grandmother, who left me a trust fund of over $100,000 when she died. I had no debt coming out of college like most like in, and and I and I'm sure there's a lot of other people that are somewhere between that and living in poverty that have to pay off college at least but mm-hmm. um when I finished college and I didn't have enough money on my own to get into a decent apartment I could just move back home to my family's 7 acre property and my parents who weren't rich but like were very much well off sure. and um and and with that like I I didn't even at 24 25 26 years old it never occurred to me how privileged that was. Like I, we weren't rich. We didn't live like, right. you know, we didn't live, you know, uh, Lake Minnetonka, $4 million dollar home. Right. And so yeah. if you compare that to a black person who grew up in poverty, whose parents grew up in poverty, whose grandparents were denied the ability to maybe even own a house in some parts of the country until the late 1960s. Mm-hmm. Just think about how different your world would be. Think about how different your education would be. Think about how different your experiences would be. If you grew up with poor education, with no money, if you grew up without a father, or if you grew up um, without multiple generations of savings and economic stability, I try to have empathy now that I'm at least becoming more of an adult in my 30s. Does, do, do all of those things justify breaking the glass on a small business and stealing a TV? I am not saying that. I'm not saying right, that. But- I'm saying the frustration of all of these things, generational things, yep. build up to what we're seeing in situations and, like Minneapolis the last 48 hours. And I firmly believe, though, that this does come back to the question of how did we get there? Because if we if we hyper-focus on Cub Foods... Which, mi- is, which, by the way, is like, missing, that's what's going to happen. And it's missing the entire point. It's missing the entire point. Um, I would say this. I wouldn't even ask a guy like you or, or me. I mean, I grew up in Minnetonka, okay? Like, I wouldn't even ask ask us to try to put ourselves in a black person's shoes. I would ask this, and and this actually takes us down a track that I know we don't want to get political, but I think that there's a way to walk this tightrope right now in, in this conversation that's worth broaching. I would ask you, me, everybody else, to have empathy and understanding of what, because we're never going to erase bad people. We're not going to erase bad white cops like you're not going to get rid of all of them okay so i would ask when you the i would ask everybody else that when you see something as horrific as what we saw on monday on the video or just the world that we live in today to have empathy to have empathy for everybody again men women sexual orientation don't care empathy for people black people white people um and Here's what makes me so disgusted right now about our world. And and I will say this. I Don and I don't have kids because we're sort of lazy and selfish. <laughs> That's it. And we didn't and we and and, you, and we we're both like, do we really want to raise kids? But yeah. but for the first time I will say 
at the age of 50, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm glad I don't have kids. Because the world in which we are going, the direction in which we're going, and the world in which we are today is not a good place. And, and the lack of empathy and understanding of other people, or even the moment to take a second to think about what another person now might be doing, um, we have lost it. And, and what is making me so frustrated about the world now and the direction we're going is we are in a lazy way using politics to cover our biases, which extend far beyond politics. We're just saying, well, that's politics now. That's politics. You pick a side and you stick. Oh. Oh, okay. It's gotten to the point now where we're no longer being humans to each other and using politics as the shield. And to say that that bothers me is an understatement. Yeah. And, and listen, I'm not perfect. I can be an a-hole, I'm sure. Um, but nonetheless, I would like to think that when I see a gross injustice or when I see somebody wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, that I can make a decision and be at least um, empathetic about that decision. Not an overbearing, you're wrong, I'm right, and I don't care about you. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's what, that's, and, and I think this all ties together in the world in which we're in, and I probably should say country. Um, and we are, we've now gone in a direction where we've just decided, well, but it's all your political nature and that's fine. And it's not fine. The whole thing, literally everything about the last three months, everything COVID related and all of the, the, the discussions and debates around COVID and science and politics, and then everything in the last 72 hours surrounding the death of George Floyd and the aftermath and the rioting and the looting, I just feel dejected by all of it. Yep. I, just, I just feel like yep. we are so far away from being able to have meaningful, productive conversations about things. Like everything is, if, if, even though the majority of people aren't on Twitter actively, you know, like we are for sporting events and stuff, it feels like every battle is fought in the way that you would tweet back and forth with somebody, right? Mm-hmm. It's like just very surface level. You only get like 200 characters to express your point and like the, I don't know how we get to a point where, all right, you come from this background, I come from this background. Instead of just like insulting each other and demeaning each other, let's get to the root of where we're coming from. Let's let's like let's let's get to the wiring of why someone feels a certain way and why people act the way that they act. It's like we never want to go down that path. And I know this is getting like we're thirty minutes into this now and it's getting deep and stuff. And we'll get back to sports, I promise. Why, like that's what our show's about. But why can't we be human? Like why why know, have man. we why have we completely lost that ability to understand? Not, and, and you don't, and understanding does not mean that you're a wuss. Understanding does not mean that you're weak. It means that you're processing. And you might not agree, but you know what? That person believes, unless they're doing something wrong, that person believes what they believe, and they should be able to have those beliefs. And I don't, I, I've, well, I think I understand where it's coming from, but I also believe that it is as detrimental to everybody, and this includes the rich, the poor, the smart, and the dumb, as possible. There's no, there's nothing good right now about yeah. this. I want to read, oh, Declan, were you going to jump in? I didn't want to cut you off. Uh, no. I have something, yeah. I, have something I want good. to read to you guys. For sure. Um, this is from, this is just a Facebook post from 
a local police officer in the Twin Cities named Justin Pletcher. Yeah. I repost. If you want to read the whole, the whole thing is very lengthy. I'm going to read a couple snippets from it. Um, you can you can hit me up on Facebook, facebook.com slash Phil Mackey, if you want to be friends. I promise most of my posts are about my cat Tommy and sports. I promise. Unfollow. So he is, uh, he's a former, I just want to, I'm going to read you like three paragraphs here. Two pictures posted here. On May 25th, 2020 was my 10-year anniversary becoming a cop. Uh, in the first picture posted, my wife is surprising me with a cake and my son is helping me blow out the candles. It was an important day for me because as most of you know, I've always wanted to be a police officer. As soon as professional hockey, R&B singer, and other things were no longer options, there was no other choice for me. I went to college, joined the Army, served in Iraq, all to be better prepared for eventually becoming a police officer. So one photo is literally May 25th, three days ago. It's him celebrating his 10-year anniversary as a police officer. He always wanted to be a Minneapolis police officer, uh, but he eventually became a Columbia Heights police officer, which is the adjacent city next to Minneapolis. And so the second photo is from his dispatched call uh, from earlier this week. I called the number back, and a man named Calvin answered the phone. Calvin said he was a health inspector and that he would be inspecting some neighborhood homes today in Columbia Heights. He said, I'm a big black man with dreadlocks, and he just wanted to make sure that police were aware in case they got a call about him walking around the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Just stop right there for a second. Mm -hmm. Have you guys... Ever as you're stumbling around bars and going to different Hell areas, no. like you know, my family lives in rural Wisconsin. You know, no. have you ever thought, all right, just in case, like someone thinks I'm suspicious walking through a Would neighborhood? Would the thought ever cross my mind? Hell no, absolutely not. So that's part one of it. So Calvin, the man with the black man with dreadlocks, asked that I come out there to verify his employment so I could squash any calls before they became something bigger. I obliged, and I apologized to him for this even being necessary, but I told him I understood. I arrived, and we exchanged pleasantries, and when I noticed he had had, uh, an Omega Sci-Fi bracelet on, which is a black fraternity known as Q, I told him my roommate in college was a Q, making the hand gestures, and that one of my officers was a Q. Calvin smiled. I smiled. All of a sudden, the apprehension in the air immediately disappointed. So the symbolism here, too, is you have a fully uniformed white police officer and a large black man with dreadlocks, and they're in Columbia Heights in the middle of the neighborhood. Uh, He ended up knowing my college roommate pretty well. We decided we would spend the next hour walking around the neighborhood together. Kevin was about 15 years older than me, but we talked about how we both loved to travel, talked about our kids. We spoke about George Floyd and police brutality and how it's different. Uh, For black men in this world, we talked about the importance of getting to know people and how racism is born of fear and ignorance. Calvin spoke and I listened. He posted a picture, a selfie of him and Calvin. Mm -hmm. I'm not writing this to tell you that everything is going to be okay. I honestly don't know if it will be. I have hope. Otherwise, everything I'm doing would lose meaning. I'm not telling people not to be angry or not to protest. Black people should be angry. White people should be angry. I'm angry. I'm just writing this to tell you that I love you all and that I'm here to listen to you whenever you're ready to talk. If you're black and hurt and you don't understand policing, I'm here to listen. If you're white and you feel lost and you don't know how to use your voice, I'm here to listen. I'll answer what I can, and when I can't, I'll work together to find the answers with you. We need to listen to each other. We need to support each other. I'm only as good of a police officer as my community says I am. If my community doesn't trust me, I need to listen. If my community fears me, I need to listen. I met Calvin today, and I listened. And because of this, I gained an ally and a friend. 
I know enough about change to know that you can't tell people what to do. You need to listen to them and build change together. So please listen to me for this brief moment as I tell you this one thing. I'm here, not for you, but with you. I am, have been, and will be a member of this team, our team. I'm here as both a police officer and as your friend. I'm listening. Oof. That's good. Sorry. (laughs) So. That's really good. In case you're wondering if there are good and bad police officers, this is a good police officer, and that's a great worldview in my mind. So. Yep. And there, yeah, there's a ton of good cops. This is, but, but still, we're not even close to being as a country where we need to be. And I guess my point today, and it, it might just be because I'm down about the entire thing, but my point is, and this is not just a police thing, but with where the country is going, it feels like we're going in the wrong direction. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like, like, I can say this is a terrible, terrible thing, but it's going to result in something that might be good, that might be progress. Right now, I feel like we're going backwards, and it's just, it's really frustrating and super sad to see. Yeah. The only that thing that really can good. fix it, scoops with Doogie and some old tweets exposed. Oh, there's some old tweets. <laughs> Both old tweets. of you. By the oh, way, no sure, one is safe. I'm sure there are. If you... If you agree or disagree with anything we just said, if you just want to start a dialogue... Uh, Judd and I and Declan are always on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Mackey at Jay Zolgad at Dex's tweets and at the Dexter, which by the way, oh boy, we're going to get to that old Twitter handle wow. here oh, in old nice. tweets exposed at some point. And you can email me to uh, P Mackey at scornorth.com. Uh, thank you, by the way, to Luther Brookdale Toyota for just sticking by us through a tough period here with no live sports at score North and on the Mackey and Judd show these last few weeks and hell last few months now. So what they are doing is setting up safety precautions for all of you, the customers and also all of their employees. If you're still interested in a new car, don't let COVID stop you. Okay. They will bring a car out to you fully wiped down, cleaned. You can test drive it in your own neighborhood and uh, you can get in and see what all of the bells and whistles look like in some of these 2020 Camrys, RAV4s, Tacomas, 0% financing um, for 60 months on these vehicles and also 90 days deferred payment as well on new and used vehicles. So they're just, they're, they're taking precautions and they're making things easy and affordable for you during a tough time here. The website, you can peruse around. It's LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. These are friends of mine and my family's going back to the 1980s. These are just some of the best people in the industry. 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. All right, welcome back in here. Mackie and Judd, hashtag sticking to sports. That's what we're going to do now after that first segment. Doogie from 5 Eyewitness News and the Scoop Podcast, which you can find on Apple, Spotify, and scorenorth.com every single week. Dugs, Anthony Harris, what do you got for an update? Are they just going to go into the season, franchise tag him, and have a couple safeties making over $20 million? What are you hearing? It's entirely possible, Phil. Now, going back multiple months, I mean, I think every single chance that I've had, you know, an opportunity to join you guys, we've talked about Anthony Harris. And I said months ago of the three scenarios, him signing a long-term deal, him being traded, or him signing the franchise tag, and playing out the season on the franchise tag, I said of the three, you know, him playing out the franchise tag was, was the least likely scenario. Well, at this point, he is not getting traded. The Giants had interest. The Giants would have paid him big-time money. But the Giants and Vikings couldn't work out the trade compensation. So Anthony has signed his franchise tender. No reason not to because he knows he's not getting traded. So that's off the table. Trade is off the table. But now we're looking at long-term deal. 
for him just playing out the 2020 season on the franchise tag, which is valued at around $11.4 million. They have until July 15th to work out a long-term deal. There have been no new talks. Now, there were talks going back multiple months, but in the last couple of weeks, there have not been any new talks. The Harris camp is waiting on a few guys. Justin Simmons in Denver. They're keeping an eye on Jamal Adams' situation with the Jets. Does he get traded? If he does, does he get a new contract? And Buda Baker, remember Buda Baker from the Cardinals, had a really good game at U.S. Bank Stadium against the Vikings a couple of years ago. Buda is entering the final year of his deal in Arizona. So I know the Harris camp is looking at what, maybe more so, not necessarily Adams. Adams might be in a different tier, a tier above those guys. But I know that the Harris camp is curious to see what Simmons ends up getting with Denver, if he does get a deal in Denver, and what Baker gets in Arizona. To be clear, Dukes, the the – Vikings came in uh, to the off season, uh, I believe, clearly last in the National Football League in salary cap space. Uh, they are now in what one would consider to be not great but decent shape salary cap wise. Correct? Yeah, I mean, after they signed their rookie class, now they haven't signed any of their rookie guys, but I mean that's you know those deals were what happened. They're waiting for guys to get to town to officially take physicals. Some teams have signed their their rookies. My understanding is the Vikings will wait a little bit, but we can slot in those contracts. Sure. We slot in all those rookie deals, you know, or the ones that will apply to the salary cap. The Vikings will have around seven and a half to $8 million in space. Hmm. Yeah, I just, uh, man, I do wonder if they would have gone back and if they would have. I, I, I don't love the idea of taking a small amount of salary cap space and just, like, spending it on fringe roster guys. Michael Pierce, probably more than a fringe roster guy, but I do wonder if they were, I, I, I guess my question here is what was their plan a with Anthony Harris? Like if they could go back and say, all right, in an ideal world, maybe franchise tagging him was the fallback plan. What do you think their plan a was with Anthony Harris? And, and also the money that you would have opened up if you would have done something different with him. My sense is plan A would have been getting Anthony Harris to sign a team-friendly deal, convincing him at the age of 29, now is the time to cash out. You know, But I don't think the Vikings you know, figured that, hey, another team, in this case the Giants, were willing to pay him way, way more than they were willing to pay him. You know, And make no mistake, I mean, Anthony has turned down interview requests. I don't know if he'll ever say it publicly. You know, like last year he made, what, six figures. Mm-hmm. Nobody was complaining about the money he made last year going from six figures million, but really, this is his one great opportunity to fully cash out. He wants a long-term deal. In his mind, he either wanted a long-term deal, first and foremost here, or with the Giants or some other team. He didn't want to suck in the franchise tag. He didn't want to be here on a one-year deal. Now, he may put on a smiley face publicly whenever we get the opportunity at some point this summer to talk to him, but I'm just telling you, my understanding is he's not real thrilled. I just don't know if you're ever going to say that when you're guaranteed $11.4 million. But, yeah, to, fill, to answer your question, undoubtedly in my mind, I think if the Vikings had their way, Anthony would have already signed a long-term deal. Okay, sir, the, the update on Everson Griffin, I believe there was a report that came out uh, late last week that the Arizona Cardinals were sniffing around the defensive end. Yeah, Jeremy Fowler, one of our mutual friends, yeah. covered the Vikings for the Pioneer Press, somebody we all know very well. Jeremy's a really, really good reporter. He had the report a few days ago. I'll just say this. I would be very, 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 very surprised if Everson Griffin signs with the Arizona Cardinals. All right. All right. How much- I just don't see him landing there. I mean, 
whether it's Seattle, whether who knows, maybe it's back here eventually. There haven't been any new talks. There's no momentum in terms of Everson landing back here, but mm-hmm. I just don't see him landing in Arizona from what I see out of. So how much, what do you think the price point is on him? I mean, is it going to fit under the seven point whatever million dollars? Oh, absolutely. I mean, at this point, you know, I mean, I think he gets more than the minimum, but I don't think he's going to break the bank in, in any regard. Yeah. Um, give us uh, give us an update on Gopher. Uh, well, you have you have a note on Max Meyer here, one of the one of the top pitchers in the country here, who got to pitch like four times at the beginning of the season for the Gopher baseball team. Is that going to be another Minnesota based first round pick potentially? Yeah, I mean, undoubtedly, Phil. He will be a first round pick. In fact, he will be the highest Minnesota to get drafted since Joe Bauer went first overall. Oh, interesting. In the O one draft, of course, to the Twins. Remember that draft? A lot of people were upset that the Twins passed on on USC's Mark Pryor. But yeah, Max Meyer. My understanding is his floor is pick nine at Colorado Rockies. Like he won't get past the Rockies at wow. pick nine. He could go eight to San Diego. I think he could go as high as five to Toronto. Woo. Who knows? Maybe even higher than that. But I'm just telling you. He will be a top 10 pick. He is going to straight gold. He's got a great slider. He's got an electric fastball, 99 to 100 miles per hour. So there's a lot to like about Max Meyer of Woodbury High School. Do it's because of the COVID-19 going to be a five-round draft, which in baseball terms is very, very short. How many local kids who you've been following in recent years do you think are not going to be drafted now because this thing's going to be so quick? Well, I'll give you one example. Max Carlson was the Gatorade National Player of the Year. He won some prestigious national awards. It was tied to Gatorade. Maybe it was pitcher, player, something along those lines. He's from Burnsville High School. His older brother, Sam Carlson, was a second-round pick a couple years ago of the Seattle Mariners, signed for a couple million dollars, bypassed an opportunity to play in college at Florida. Max, at this point, is landing in Chapel Hill. He's a commit to the University of North Carolina. They have a great baseball program. So the future is still bright for Max. And I think if Max had a spring season to show up in front of scouts, Max would have had an opportunity to get drafted. So that mm-hmm. is just one example. The other local guy that will get drafted is a kid from Anoka High School, from Ramsey, Trent Palmer. He's from the University of Jacksonville. He's a starter slash reliever. He pitched well last summer in the Cape Cod League. I think he goes in round four or round five. And if you're not drafted, I believe that every team is capped at signing players who go un drafted for $20,000, correct? So that there's correct. I, I mean, in baseball terms, as a signing bonus, that's dirt cheap. So I got to believe that there's a lot of kids who ordinarily would jump at the opportunity to sign who are probably going to wait until next June to be drafted again uh, because of the fact that, that that 20 grand is, you know, not that great for a baseball player. You're right. So, I mean, that means a lot of college juniors, they might have signed out just, will end up back in college, play out their senior season, and enter the 2021 draft. So, I mean, that complicates the 2021 draft. I also think whether it's a Max Carlson or any number of other high school players, it impacts them as well. So, yeah, I mean, the 2021 draft is going to be loaded. But, yeah, make no mistake, there's a bunch of kids getting screwed with the setup now heading into June 10th and June 11th. All right, Dukes, empty the bag. Rapid-fire scoops. Hit us with them. Zeke Naji, Hopkins High School, University of Arizona, Pac-12 Freshman of the Year. Virtual interviews this week. He's a first-round NBA draft pick. Whenever the draft is going to be at this point, it looks like it'll be in September. It's not going to be in late June. Virtual interviews this week with the Nets, the Raptors, and the Spurs. Minneapolis native, former DLSL high school star. Zucar Annam had a nice career at Marquette. I think he ends up either playing overseas or maybe in the G League. But he had a virtual interview this week. 
with the Philadelphia 76ers. The Gophers men's basketball team is playing the hardcore press on Booth Gotch, the Austin, Minnesota native, the Utah transfer, averaged double digits last year for the Utah Utes. There is some logic behind the idea that he's got a ton of schools in on him, Maryland, a bunch of schools that want Booth Gotch. I mean, he's a good player, but there is some logic behind the idea that if he wants to be eligible next season, which he does, then you come to your home state school, that you're within an hour and a half of your home, that the NCAA would say because of the coronavirus, yeah, you have immediate eligibility. So I would not be shocked if the Gophers have a really good chance to land a really good transfer player in Booth Gotch. That is Darren Doogie Wolfson, 5 Eyewitness News and the Scoop Podcast. And Doogie will catch up with you again next week. Go download Doogie's podcast, Apple, Spotify, Scrum.com. See you, buddy. I appreciate it, Phil. Stay safe. All right, you too, man. Yep. Um, Hey, real quick here on baseball. Yep. Max Scherzer. Oh, yeah. We're going to get to old tweets exposed here shortly. Mm -hmm. Max Scherzer came out yesterday. So you've got... You got the NHL now with they've crafted their proposal and 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 now it comes down to finances and the NBA is working through some different things here and it kind of it kind of feels like NHL and NBA even though there's definitely things to be discussed are moving down the road like all right we're we got this thing we kind of got the framework you know we're we're, we're back to practicing in certain facilities and then there's baseball where the owners have now asked the players to take massive pay cuts beyond the prorated pay cuts that they already agreed to before the season started. Right. And so a guy like Mike Trout would go from 30, 35 million down to like 7 million or whatever it is. And, and so like the top players would be making maybe $7 million and then everybody else would also take incremental pay cuts to which Max Scherzer said, after discussing the latest developments with the rest of the players, there's no reason to engage with, with Major League Baseball in any further compensation reductions. We have previously negotiated a pay cut in the version of prorated salaries, and there's no justification to accept a second pay cut based on the current information that the union has received. I'm glad to hear other players voicing the same viewpoint and believe Major League Baseball's economic strategy would completely change if all documentation were to become public information. And so what Max Scherzer is basically saying is, and I just pulled this up on Forbes.com. All right, guys, listen, billionaire owners. Every one of you generated at least $220 million in revenue in 2019. At the top of that list, the Yankees and Dodgers and Red Sox all generated over $500 million in revenue last year. If you want to go off of operating income, because obviously it's very expensive to run a Major League Baseball team with payrolls and all sure. the highly paid front office people and running a stadium, etc. According to Forbes, only one franchise lost money in 2019. It was the Miami Marlins, which like you can, you can have conversations across the ballpark with other fans because there's only 10 people in each game. Every other team generated at least $10 million in operating income all the way up to the Houston Astros and San Francisco Giants and Dodgers generating, this is just straight profit according to Forbes, $100 million each in operating revenue. And so what Max Scherzer is saying, all right, before we go down this road of like us taking more pay cuts, are you guys really taking a bath on this like you say you are? Or are you just trying to lessen the blow? Like, why don't you open up your books and let us know where you're like, You know where we're at financially, and we're fine. Right. Where are you guys at financially? And the shame of this is there's like maybe two weeks left until you have to make a decision on the season, or it's just over. Like, the nuclear button is, I think, two weeks away, maybe even less than that. Mm -hmm. And here we sit having a basically a pissing war over money. 
It's ridiculous. So the players are, it sounds like they are going to come back at some point in time here in the very near future and propose a 100-plus game season, which would have them, I believe, throughout the course of this thing, playing seven games per week, taking Mondays off and playing double headers on Saturday or Sunday. Hmm. The owners don't want to do that. But But here's our dilemma here, both sides. Here's our problem. And they're not going to talk about this because it's just during the time of a pandemic so stupid. But their issue is they are now actively engaging in in fighting each other, not really about this year as much as the CBA that I believe is set to expire after the 2021 season. And so I think what you have is both sides and the owners for sure are pushing the Players Association to try and bully them into getting them to take what they want as a first step towards a new, you know, collective bargaining agreement, which we think is probably going to result in a a strike or lockout in itself. That's the issue. And that's the problem. They're fighting about, yeah, this summer, but more so the future. And look, if the players can get the owners to open their books, God bless them. It would be a huge step. But I don't think they're going to do that. And I and and we might have baseball this in the coming months. But I think to assume that right now is foolish. This thing could be long. It could be a, it's already turned into a massive fight. And and I think if there was a CBA in place, I'd be pretty confident. Okay, there's some fighting here, but it's going to get done. But because there's not. This is I. This is the owners taking the first step towards fighting a fight that is actually a year plus away. I, it's that. It, I mean, it's terrible, but it's that simple. I was sitting at home last night trying to like understand what the hell's going on just down the streets from me and trying to figure out, you know, just life right now. Things have been obviously a little chaotic here and just and and even in my family too. But I'm trying to figure out like how to stay positive, and then that next Scherzer thing comes through. And it was just like the biggest kick in the groin of the cherry on top of what's been going on essentially in my life and in the world in the last like 72 hours. It was like I was trying to look at it and be like, man, this sucks. Like baseball's not going to happen. And at the same time, not to reopen the can of worms you did in the first segment, but it's like, is this really even the bigger issue we should be discussing right now? You know, like it's nothing seems to be working. Dude, I know baseball coming back wouldn't fix America and wouldn't fix coronavirus. And but it would. It would just make the days more fun. And Certainly. I think the question here now is, and, and I I said two weeks. All right, we are four days away from June 1st. Yeah. If they don't start a season early July, I, I just don't see how they're going to be able to play 80 or 100 games. And, get, and, and if they don't start a modified version of spring training by, like, the second week in June, like there's so many logistical things to figure out here in these next 10 to 14 days. So it is good that there is a potential deadline coming up. But the question is, do you guys think the players should just bend over backwards again here and just take the pay cuts? Would, if, from this if, proposal if, that, that we got a couple days ago from the owners? Like, should, should, Mike, no. should Mike Trout just no, say, all right, whatever, no. screw it. I'll make $7 no. million. That's fine. No, they should pay him. They they should come to a bleeping agreement between the two sides <laughs> that is fair. And and look, the owners won't open their books, and the fact they won't should come with a pretty significant price. If they open their books and be like, "Look, boys, we are losing our shorts," I think everyone would be like, "Oh yeah, okay, cool. Let's work in this, and we'll work with that, and blah blah blah." But if they are going to keep their books closed, which they're going to, that comes at at a price. 
Um, but this is, to me, a situation. There's no good guy. I mean, but if it's this is where this is what's so hard from a principal standpoint. I'm okay with the players standing their ground and saying, listen, I mean, you got come on now. Like this is billionaires versus millionaires. Why are you guys trying to leverage us here? But if the options are bend over again, take less money and get the season back on the tracks Mm -hmm. to start. And it can be the first league out of the gate in early July and they can have a bunch more eyeballs on the sport. They can be viewed as the sport that helped bring, you know, daily entertainment back to America, right? Mm-hmm. And the players would be definitely taking a hit. Financially, they'll be fine. Like, they're all rich anyways. But they'd be taking a hit in their leverage against the owners. Or option B, which is they stand their ground, like Max Scherzer said yesterday, and the owners say, all right, well, we'll stand our ground too. We f- foolishly don't care now, about missing the season. But the interesting thing about that is is the players short-term, are going to come off as the bad guys. They're going to be seen as they wouldn't take pay Greedy, reductions. We've yes. all, everyone, you know, un- unemployment is off the charts. And and if you have not been fired, you've certainly taken a pay cut. Uh, but where baseball and Manfred has to consider this one is long-term, this is on them. Players retire. Players, you know, Scherzer's going to play, and then he's going to be done, and he's going to be rich, right? There's yeah. guaranteed contracts. Like, these guys are getting rich but, regardless. But if I But if I own the Washington Nationals, and I'm a pariah, and people, if if they don't play baseball this year, and if this thing turns into a, pardon my French, pissing match th- through the expiration of the CBA in 2021, okay? If you think coming back in 94 w- was bad, which keep in mind, it took a steroid-fueled summer four years after that for baseball to recover, okay? Four years, and you had to do it illegally. If you think that was bad, that's going to be a bleeping parade um, down ninety four, a yeah. championship parade compared to what it. compared to what they are going to. And and again, the players players are going to retire. Players are going to walk away. If, if people turn on baseball, and I'm a player, and I'm thirty five, eh, sayonara, see ya. Also, but if I own a team, if I'm Jim Polad, do I want this? Yeah, and and, and the thing is, like you're right, and we're going to get this documentary, coincidentally or ironically. ESPN is going to put out the summer of 98, like in two weeks from now. And so you, you got kind of lucky and that you had this run of steroids in baseball that actually elevated the sport and brought it back in the spotlight. And we, and we, we vilify steroid users and we don't let them in the hall of fame for the most part, but those steroid users did save baseball in 1998. The problem for baseball now is there's probably not another steroid brigade coming and you already shot your bullet on the juiced baseballs and the records that we've broken the last few years. Two so. things, two things that in my opinion, events or people um, helped bring baseball, resuscitated back to life post-strike of 94. Ripken's consecutive game streak, which was fantastic, and steroids. McGuire, Sosa, Bonds, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Um, but if, if you are baseball and also, and you decide, you know what, Screw the fans. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a work stoppage. We're not gonna come back and play. And then, as a cherry on top, after twenty twenty one gets done, we're going to have a year long uh, strike slash lockout. Okay, we are now going to be in a period of time where, and this is not going to end soon, where for several years, disposable income decisions that once were made easily about disposable income are going to be made much more frugally. Right. Like, ah, boy, 
Mom lost her job. Dad got a pay cut. And we've got the Vikings, the Twins, the Wild, the Wolves, right? So what should we go to? You ain't going to say baseball if these guys pull this stunt. You ain't going to say baseball. Um, And I really do believe that within the next few years, the one thing that we're not probably thinking through right now is that lack of disposable income and where the economy has probably now gone for quite some time is going to become um, uh, the springboard for you are going to see not leagues, fill. But I think you're going to see teams that are definitely going to be in trouble yep. in sports. So please figure it out, baseball. Just let the Twins come in here and win in the eyes of Judd Zolgad a tainted World Series. It won't be tainted for me or well, just play the okay. d- I want them to play the damn games. The tainted thing don't bother me. Be cracking claws with Josh Donaldson on the on Hennepin <laughs> Avenue. Yeah, that might be first sure drinks claws. Right? Absolutely. You might be cracking claws with him regardless. He'll just be uh, in Sounds good. civilian clothes. You know what I mean, <laughs> All right. We got to get to a new segment here. Hmm. We don't even have an open for it yet. We will at some point. We will. But. But Declan is going to guide us through a new segment we call oh. Old Mackie and Judd Tweets Exposed. Now, this is, God. for me, this is, I think, 11 years worth of potential. Oh, yeah. You, <gasps> me too. I joined in 2009. Oh, we was, both did? Yeah. Oh, congratulations. Happy Great. birthday or something. Yep. I, my handle used to be PMAC21. Oh, yeah. Hey, buddy. And PMAC21. I, and I was uh, the underscore Dexter for a good lot of time as well. Should so, we start with yours? We yeah, have, okay. we have the audio, too. So. We tracked down. You set this up. but I We, this, we yeah. tracked this down could. audio of mm-hmm. a Declan tweet into the old Royce and Mackie show. So what was this? This was a segment called, what, Unpopular Opinions? Unpopular I Opinions. Um, I was 20, and I was interning with the St. Paul Saints, and I would spend a good amount of my prep time at home listening to 1500 ESPN. Wow. And I was, I remember vividly being on the back porch. It was a gorgeous summer day. I was prepping for my, for uh, running a, basically the St. Paul Saints, their radio station in Stillwater, doing all the pregame show stuff. So getting all my notes ready that I had to do for a half hour pregame show that I was flying solo on. And I'm getting ready and I'm listening to you guys. And I thought, oh, unpopular opinion. So I take a look at like Vance Worley's AAA numbers and Vance Worley seemed to have uh, put string together a couple nice starts in AAA Rochester. So I tweeted, hey. Unpopular opinion. Vance really deserves. Another you get look. an email oh, or that's Twitter? Right. Yeah, I got to Twitter. Let's get to here. Twitter here. Uh, the underscore Dexter, unpopular opinion via Twitter. He thinks this is uh, Declan is his name. Vance Worley still deserves another look. <laughs> okay, let's play this again. Listen to when I say Declan is his name. Listen to our old producer, Corey Roofs, go and crackle. All right, listen to this. Did we get an email? Oh, or that's Twitter? right. Yeah, I got to get, get to Twitter here. here. Uh, the underscore Dexter, unpopular opinion via Twitter. He thinks this is uh, Declan is his name. Vance Worley still oh, deserves another guys. look. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Pretty good one there. <laughs> did, uh, did Vance Worley even cackle. pitch in the major league? He, he might, never came. Well, I don't he know if he went to a different team. Yeah, he went to like the Phillies yeah, the Pirates. or something. Yeah. Pirates? Right? He went to the Pirates. That's right. right. The Vanimal. Him and Liriano. The Vanimal, man. He was great. Opening the, day the starter. I know. The, op- the opening day starters of the Twins are some of the... That, that's an exercise from, what, 2011 on that is a lot of fun. It's very scary. Oh, my gosh. I, did he nickname himself the Vanimal? I'm that, pretty sure he did. That he was sounds a like weird that. dude. He man. was a weird guy. Wore the goggles. Yep. I, I approached him in spring training. In the clubhouse, I think we were down to Fort Myers one year and uh, to talk to him, and it was one of those, yeah, spring training conversations are the easiest, right? Because guys in spring training have all the time in the world Super to talk. Super chill. And yeah. most of them are really chill, and even guys who can be difficult 
are easy in spring training. Yeah. Not the Vanimal. He was actually really good in 2014 for the Pirates. In 2014, he went eight and four with a 2.8 ERA and 18 starts. Dude, the Vanimal. The Vanimal. Unbelievable. The Twins have a couple of the most amazingly ironic pitcher nicknames in history. So the Vanimal is one of them. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna claw your eyes out, right? The yeah, Vanimal. Yeah, no, the Vanimal. But the Twins also had JD Durbin, who self nicknamed the Real Deal. Love that. That's right. I'm JD, the Real Deal Durbin, and my 14 ERA is gonna crush you. How do you give yourself <laughs> that nickname? I don't know, man. The Real how Deal. How do you give yourself a, a nickname that's that haughty? Amazing. So nice job, Declan. That was good. All right. Way to contribute to the show back then. Thank you. I'll give you credit. Even back then, I was carrying 1,500 ESPN. Anyway, um, (laughs) speaking of baseball and tweets, a young Phil Mackey, when he was a beat writer covering the Twins in 2012, someone tweeted at Phil. His name was uh, at Chris Kunitz, uh, Kuznick, Chris Kuznick at PMAC21. He asked, Do you think Scott Diamond is a fluke? Oh, no, Mackie wouldn't have. Mackie loves Scott Diamond. And Phil, quote, tweeted back. You were high on Scott Diamond. And said, no, potential to be a solid mid-rotation starter. I didn't. Okay, in fairness, I didn't say which league. All right. Yeah, did you say the American Association? uh, The Japanese Pacific League, the Korean Baseball Organization. Okay. Scott Diamond, here's the best part. So Scott Diamond had that unbelievable one season where he had like a three and a half ERA. He was the Twins ace, which he was the tallest jockey. Let's face it. Like the Twins rotation was a disaster in 2012, 13, whenever that was. But people always made a big deal out of here's Scott Diamond. He's a major league pitcher Mm -hmm. and he drives like some crappy beat up 14 year old station wagon. Like he would just he rolled in with this beater car into the Twins team parking lot every single day. I don't even remember what it was. And 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 it was always like, boy, man, a guy who's made it this far, he's making big league paychecks now, and he is still no. Scott Diamond had foresight. That's what that was. Scott Diamond knew I'm probably not going to want to spend two hundred thousand dollars on a Ferrari right now. My stuff, him. my stuff is not major league stuff. Canada's son, good too, guy, the Canadian. He knew it, but you didn't know it. That's my favorite part. There's also a great photo at Twins Fest 2013 of a uh, Phil Mackey with hair on his head with Tom Pelissero interviewing Scott Diamond and Josh Willingham, who wow. were pitcher and uh, hitter of the year. Well, for that the must Twins have been a riveting Wars. segment right, right there. Bet. Josh Willingham, Josh Willingham. Mr. Personality. Oh, God. <laughs> hey, Josh, it, it's a fly ball. The I know, hammer. but I can't get to it. The Dude. hammer, baby. I've I had, play left field, not left center. <laughs> I've done better interviews with a pot of geraniums than with Josh Willingham wow. at Twins Fest. Although okay. you do ha- have to admit, that the one guy Ryan Domit was sort of, was really weird. Oh, oh yeah, like Ryan Domit was a weird. That's dude. a great story. I have a Ryan Domit. Yeah, story. I love that story. So uh, Ryan Domit always had kind of a far and away look. He he looked like one of those guys that had the Nike contacts in, but they were they, but they were his real eye colors. Yeah, they had freaky eyes. So Ryan Domit, <laughs> you're being kind. <laughs> it's it. Kind of a butcher behind the plate. He was mostly an outfielder, first baseman who could hit some home runs and like owned a catcher's glove. That was sort of Ryan Domit. He came from the Pirates, right? Yeah, he did. Consistently good hitter for a catcher, but not a bad, but not a good defensive catcher. Mm-hmm. And it was one of these seasons where the Twins are about to lose 95 games, and it's August. There are like 20 games under 500. The game doesn't matter. The Twins got smoked. I think what happened was there was like two outs in the inning, pop up straight up over home plate, literally straight up over home plate. And Domit gets under it. All right, I got it, I got it, I got it. He backpedals, backpedals, and the ball blows over his head and lands between the mound and home plate. Been there. And the and the 
I can't remember who they were playing, but the opposing team wound up scoring like five or six runs with two outs. Like that would have ended the <laughs> inning. It blows the game wide open. Like if he catches that pop up, the inning is over and the Twins can still win the game. And the opposing team just rattles off like six runs or something. Right. I might be Joe Morganing this story. If you go to Baseball Reference, I might be right. But that's that's my recollection of what it was. And so after the game's over, and Judd can attest to this, like Judd's been a beat writer more in his life than I have. But in baseball, it's usually like a scrum of reporters. Like who are mm-hmm. like the three key figures in the game, right? It's the pitcher. Yeah, it's uh, pitch, some other hitter, pitcher. like a like a prominent hitter, a Michael Kadire, somebody who's good at talking to the media. And then like if someone screwed something up royally, you generally like if a guy blows a save, you go and get a quote from him or something. And so we're all standing outside the Twins clubhouse. It's like their third consecutive garbage season. It's August. Ryan Domit is a surly guy who just like dropped a pop up. And uh, we were all kind of talking, like me, Lavelle, and some of the other beat writers. Like, and I and I finally said, "All right." Someone said, "Like, well, who's gonna uh, who's gonna who's gonna ask the first question to Ryan Domit? Like, yeah, who's gonna who's gonna rip the bandit? Who's off? the man here?" And I said, "Honestly, like, does anyone even like need to talk? Like, who cares about talking to Ryan? Like, does anyone need to really rub this into Ryan Domit? It's been. Can we just wave the white flag on this one?" You know, all these guys have been just standing up answering questions after 90 lost seasons for three years. And, and everyone's kind of like, ah, whatever. So the group moves over to Ryan Domit, and he's sitting with his back to the media scrum, and he's looking into his locker room, into his locker. And he's just, like, crestfallen because he's on this garbage team, and he dropped a pop-up. And, of course, he slowly kind of turns, like, a quarter of the way toward the media. And everyone looks at me to ask the first question. Basically, like, well, yeah, because you put yourself in that position, and so I'm like, all right, screw you guys. So I said, all right, Ryan, hey, on that on that pop up in the sixth or whatever, and I literally didn't even get halfway through the question. He goes, "What the f do you like?" Full on f bombs. What the f do you think happened? You saw the play. Like, what do you want me to say? And he just goes off on me. I'm like, screw you. How long was the uh, rant (laughs) from Doman? It was it was pretty short. It was like 30 seconds or less. It was brief. It didn't need to be long. And then he got up and he left. And then Trevor Plouffe, is there anything- Trevor Plouffe, I'm now friends with, like Trevor Plouffe chewed me out for asking Ryan Dome with the question. It was like, hey, bro. Well, Trevor Plouffe, was, question. Plouffe, at that point in time, it seemed to me, prided himself on being the conscious of, of the clubhouse. He was, yeah. Like he was going to tell you what was what. Is there anything worse, though, than, than a player who's not very good getting mad at you? Like if a star Luke, gets mad, Luke I totally Hughes, get it. Luke Hughes got into me one time. Actually got but into don't me you want to say? Boise. Don't you want to say the hammer? You're Luke Hughes. Like your stories of the hammer. I did say that actually. I I, I literally like he was he he <laughs> did used you get punched out. He used me as a conduit, and he's a super good guy. He used me as a conduit to. He wanted Patrick Royce banned from the clubhouse. Oh, okay, that's right. Because Royce right. was like, so this was not shots. an anti Phil thing. Why doesn't Patrick? Like, why doesn't why doesn't you? Hey, who? What's the deal with your co-host, mate? He goes. I'm like, what do you mean? Why doesn't he ever show his face in the clubhouse? And I said, "What are you going to punch him?" Like, I don't know. He's he's been in clubhouses for forty years. He's, he doesn't want to come down. Yeah. <laughs> and and he go and he starts talking about how he's like he should be banned from the clubhouse. He's too negative. This and this. And I said, "I'm gonna oh I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some advice. All right. And this is all due respect. Like we have a good relationship. But you hit two twenty last year. Oh wow. If you hit two eighty, yeah. he doesn't rip you. Yep. So. Ballsy move. Phil. Well, I mean, it good had to for be you. said. Good for you. Good for and you. How, how did, uh, and we had a good enough relationship. How did the Australian okay, okay. chap take it? He was like, all right, all right, all right fair enough. 
Fair enough, mate. Wow. Fair enough. See, that's the thing. You just didn't give a damn, too. <laughs> it's like, if you're going to say that, at least care about what you're saying. Yeah, you're gonna, like, if he walks in, you're going to clothesline him? What are you going to do? Just go, so, go hit a double. Luke Hughes and Brendan Harris both hated Royce, right? Brendan Harris once, I Didn't believe, Brent challenged Harris. Royce to a fight at the airport yeah, on Twitter. He did. He, did. he said, great. like, meet me at the airport. He did. It was great. Yeah. yeah. You, wow. go, you go buy a <laughs> ticket. You go through security. I'm at gate A18. Yeah. Uh, Judd, you're not getting out yeah, of this unscathed either, just so you know. Oh, I'm sure I'm not. Old tweets exposed. I'm looking forward to this. I'm so glad because we had this conversation recently. We need a sounder that's like old tweets exposed. We'll get Manny to voice it. Explosive noises or something. All right, this is from at SNO Peace. He asked 1500 ESPN Judd. When was this? Oh, I thought you were going back to Star Tribune Day. December of 2013. Wow, seven years. He asked 1500 ESPN Judd, Mm -hmm. looking back, would you undo the coil for Burns trade? Judd said, still like the trade. Burns is a forward now, too. Yeah. You know what? At that time, I thought Charlie Coyle wouldn't disappoint me like a long-lost son. And now your long-lost son is exposing your old tweets. I gave Charlie Uh, Coyle so many chances. You know what that is? That's a lesson that when in doubt, dump on people. (laughs) That's what that lesson is. Take the pot shot. My exactly right. Yep. No, reverse the trade. That's good. That's a good one, though. Oh, you you could probably go back and oh, find old words. Vikings Star Tribune judge tweets. I, and now that I know the old Scoggins. Oh, you guys oh yeah. Are, you guys are screwed. There's, there's, and I'm screwed too. I, there's tweets that I did on the Vikings from the Strib days that I'm sure are just absolutely glorious. Boy. And and those aren't to be confused with the training camp Mankato play by play tweets that at the time were actually popular, but now people are like, "What the hell were you Dex, doing?" I'll give you some I'll give you some free low hanging fruit ammunition here. Okay, if you go into Twitter's search function, and you'll probably have to go the at pmac twenty one handle. I like the segment pmac twenty one Nick Blackburn circa oh, like two thousand twelve. Let's do Blackburn. I'll tell him who myself. was the guy. Got it. Was it Black? No, no, no. It was Jason Marquis, the spring training game, where Phil sat there with a stopwatch because he worked so bleeping slowly. You remember that? Yes, I do. That was was actually a great piece, but it was hilarious. (laughs) You're like, my God, this man's making me hate baseball. I think what I did was I timed timed how long it took him to throw each pitch, and it was like he took like 30 or 40 seconds between each pitches, and then I found fan graphs at the time, and probably still does, List the average time Ugh. of delivery for each pitcher. And Mark Burley was like 16 seconds, just like super yep. snappy. And Jason Marquis is just out there literally trying to delay, delay the inevitable. Like, bro, if you take 40 seconds, you're still going to give up a double. So, Can I give you guys a three-year stretch between the seasons of 2013 and 2015 Twins opening day starters? I feel like we should save this for tomorrow's show. Okay. Okay. One guy's a baseball card Actually, collector. Actually, no, let's, now. That, that's mean. Let, that's mean. One let's, guy's let's a baseball card collector. Now. Let's do it now. 2013, uh, 4-2 loss to the Tigers at Target Field. Vance Worley. The next year, you open on March 31st against the White Sox in Chicago, and you unveil your ace. Bill Hughes. No, not yet. Wait. Um, Irvin Santana? No, no, he was suspended no, this first. No, no, this is 2014. Oh, Ricky Nolasco. Yes. Tricky Ricky. And then the next year. You're at Detroit on April 6th. You lose 4 nothing. You come back with uh, Bill Hughes. Noted card collector. Bill Hughes. Bill Hughes. Exactly right. And then you go to Irv Santana for two consecutive years. Which, Oof. I mean, Irv isn't great, but I feel like... Irv's the best I feel like Worley Nolasco really is is an indication of where the Minnesota Twins were at. He's got about oh. seven different pitches. Look out. And your 2014... Okay, let's play a game called What's Worse. 
Your 2014 opening day starter, Ricky Nolasco. Your designated hitter, Chris Calabello. Oh, Calabello. We should, Cal- go through, we should go through some of the Calabello for like two or three months up. was one of the best he hitters in baseball. Player right? of the month. Yeah, and then I, I think it was with Toronto he got busted, right? And then did he get busted? Yeah. They did a promotion, but he had been sent down by the time they did a promotion for him. That's happened about four or five oh. times. That happened with Byung-Ho. I am. Park Bang. Yeah. yeah. I'm proud to say I still have the Calabello bell. Calabello. Bring it in. I've got the Calabello yep. Bring it in. We can we can ring it we'll between ring it. old tweets anyway, and yes. next week. Good stuff, Dex. All right, that's All right. a wrap. Mackie and Judd, thank you for listening. If you could give us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple or anywhere you can rate podcasts, it really helps spread the word about the show. And don't be uh, don't be afraid, even during this NFL down period, to check out our daily Vikings discussions on Purple Daily, podcast form, Apple, Spotify, scorenorth.com, and youtube.com slash scorenorth. See you guys tomorrow for Action Movie Rewind. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.